Hey, this is the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to talk about my very first earthquake. Now, you'd think it would be when I was on vacation in California, but you'd be wrong. On August 23, 2011, a 5.8 earthquake struck around Louisiana County, Virginia, and it was felt up and down the East Coast. I was working in Manhattan on, I believe, the 42nd floor of my building, and my boss had walked over. And as we were chatting, I started to feel the floor wobble beneath me, and my boss kept talking, to the point where I had to interrupt and say, Are you feeling that? And he responded, Oh, I thought I had too many cups of coffee. But one of our co-workers, who had previously worked in Los Angeles, said, Yeah, we're in an earthquake. I'll be honest. It didn't feel too unlike a dump truck passing by you on the street. You know how it can shake the ground a little. So there wasn't any panic, and let's be honest, New Yorkers have experienced worse. But when you're on the 42nd floor and your building is shaking, it's not the most comfortable feeling. But we stayed in place and turned on the news, which confirmed we had experienced an earthquake. If anyone has any natural disaster stories, I don't know why you'd want to share them with me, but... Reach out on social media using the hashtag MattWatchThat. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking at a five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars Worth Checking Out, and five stars Must See. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Backdraft from 1991. So how'd I miss it? Well, I'm not a fan of fire. Sure, in the days of the caveman, it provided warmth, allowed humans to cook food and use for protection, but I find no use for it. I remember visiting Universal Studios and going on the Backdraft ride. When those blazes erupt, you felt it. That searing heat, there was no escaping it. It was hot and uncomfortable, like being in Florida. So I just don't like fire, and it has to be a horrific way to die, right? I mean, a lot of people think drowning, but at some point when you're underneath and you're taking in water, your body shuts down. But if you're being burned to death, you feel it all over your skin, you can smell it. Ugh, just awful. Just like the beginning of this review, which has kind of gone off the rails so far. Let's move on. It was directed by Ron Howard, who helmed Splash, Willow, Apollo 13, The Underrated Ransom, and won two Academy Awards for Best Director and Best Picture for A Beautiful Mind. He started as a child actor, appearing in The Andy Griffith Show as Opie Taylor, 
After starring in the George Lucas-directed American Graffiti, he would gain even more fame as Richie Cunningham in Happy Days before transitioning behind the scenes. With partner Brian Grazer, they founded Imagine Entertainment, which produced Willow, Parenthood, Kindergarten Cop, My Girl, Boomerang, 24, and Arrested Development. The screenplay was written by Gregory Wyden, who scribed The Prophecy, and his crowning achievement, and one I'm eternally grateful for, Highlander. He worked as a firefighter for three years, and his experience inspired the script. This is something to look out for. Kurt Russell, Scott Glenn, Kevin Casey, and William Baldwin did a lot of their own stunts and are listed under stunt performers in the credits. The movie stars Kurt Russell as Lieutenant Stephen Bull McCaffrey, another child star who appeared in a string of Disney movies, most notably being The Computer Who Wore Tennis Shoes. Classic. In the 70s, he continued to act but followed his first love, baseball, playing in the minor leagues for the California Angels. He put up impressive stats and was an all-star in his first two seasons, but tore his rotator cuff turning a double play, which effectively ended his career. Don't feel too bad, he became one of the biggest stars of the 80s with roles in Escape from New York, The Thing, Silkwood, Big Trouble in Little China, and Overboard. William Baldwin co-stars as probationary fire officer and younger brother Brian McCaffrey. He started as a model for Calvin Klein before appearing in a small role in Born on the Fourth of July, alongside brothers Daniel and Stephen. His breakthrough was Eternal Affairs, which was followed by Flatliners, Backdraft, Three of Hearts, and Sliver. In 1995, he married singer China Phillips from the band Wilson Phillips. They've been together since. Both certainly know how to hold on. <laughs> Robert De Niro plays Inspector Donald Rimgale. I figured since we all know how accomplished the legendary actor is that I would highlight things about his life that I wasn't aware of until I did my research. He was born and raised in Manhattan. Okay, well, that's kinda obvious. Both of his parents were painters. They divorced when he was two years old after his father came out as gay. He dropped out of school at 16 to study at Stella Adler Conservatory of Acting. He was inspired by watching bad actors on television and thinking, if they can make a living out of this, I can't do any worse. So the film starts in Chicago, 1971. Brothers Stephen and Brian are at the firehouse, Engine 17, when a call comes through. Their firefighter father, Captain Dennis McCaffrey, invites the younger on a ride-along. They arrive at the building, black smoke billowing out of the windows. Brian watches in awe as his father scales the fire escape and enters the apartment, rescuing the family within. When senior firefighter John Adcox accidentally hits a gas line, it causes an explosion, killing Captain Dennis McCaffrey in front of his son. Twenty years later, Brian McCaffrey decides to follow in his father's footsteps, after a number of career changes. This was his second attempt at becoming a firefighter after quitting the academy his first go-around. At graduation, station assignments have been designated and he's placed in Engine 115. When a fire breaks out, the grads follow the trucks and make their way to the location to find firefighter Lieutenant Stephen McCaffrey coming out of the blaze. When Bull sees his younger brother, there's immediate tension between them. He informs Brian that he had a talk with Chief Fitzgerald and asks that he be transferred to the toughest company in the city, his company. Engine 17. A few days later, Brian visits his brother's house and is unrecognized by his young nephew. His sister-in-law, Helen, informs him that Stephen moved out last April and says he's been staying on their father's boat. When Brian finds him, he asks Stephen why he messed with his station assignment. Bull responded that he doesn't believe his younger brother wants to be a firefighter. He pushed to be part of a less active company, but in this line of work, there's no place to hide. If you have a bad day, somebody dies. On his first day of the job... Brian's car doesn't start and he's late to work, almost missing a call, but he hops onto the fire truck while it's in motion. 
His brother thinks this proves he's not going to take the work seriously. They arrive at a garment factory, which is ablaze. They're informed they won't have any backup due to the budget cuts by mayoral candidate and alderman Martin Swayzak, who's on the scene. He approaches Inspector Donald Rimgale from the Office of Fire Investigation, who examines what's left of the building. He requests to speak about the death of Alan Seagrave, a prominent Chicago CPA who was blasted by a backdraft into the windshield of his car. He wants to know if it was an accident or arson. Rimgale responds that he doesn't have a full report yet, and is accused of dragging out the case because he wants to embarrass the alderman as payback for the fire department cutbacks. Rimgale responds that his job is to decide if a fire is arson or not, and if it is, to catch the person who did it, and he won't lose any sleep if his investigation methods happen to interfere with a political campaign. At a retirement party, Jennifer Vatkus, a former love interest of Brian who currently works for Mayor Swayzak at City Hall, introduces them. The alderman offers Brian a job to assist Don Rimgale in his investigations of these backdraft fires. Will Brian leave firefighting behind and take the offer? Here's a quote without context. It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats, and it hates. I enjoyed Backdraft for the most part. The storyline was very straightforward, even though there was a lot packed into it. But my main problem is the pacing. It felt like two separate movies. The first half is all about firefighting. The training, the camaraderie, the calls, the procedures. The second half becomes about the investigation into these Backdraft fires. I wish those storylines were introduced and integrated within each other earlier. There were some questionable scenes. I know they have bring your child to work day, but when you're a firefighter or police officer, it might be best to keep the kids at home. Otherwise, high-risk jobs have a high potential of scarring your children for life. The acting is fantastic. Kurt Russell and Stephen Baldwin felt like brothers who had a fractured relationship. Even as adults, there was still this feeling of big brother, little brother. I want to highlight some of the other cast as well. J.T. Walsh portrays Alderman Martin Swayzak. Jennifer Jason Lee plays his assistant, Jennifer Vatkus. Scott Glenn plays senior firefighter John Adcox, a father figure to the McCaffreys. And Rebecca DeMornay plays Stephen's estranged wife, Helen. Donald Sutherland has a minor role as arsonist Ronald Bartell. That's not a spoiler. And telling you it's not a spoiler is not a spoiler either. The direction was really strong, not surprisingly. I like simplicity. I don't want to know the cameras are there, and too many directors try to show off their shots at the expense of the story. Ron Howard has always been able to create interesting shots without being overly artsy. He's great at capturing the action. The special effects and stunts were impressive, and I have to give credit to the sound design because they would use maybe animal sound effects to give personality to the fire. It was really effective. It made them feel even more alive and dangerous. Now for a little trivial trivia. Brad Pitt lost the role of Brian McCaffrey to William Baldwin, who asked to be released from his contract on Thelma and Louise, who then cast Brad Pitt as J.D. The cinematography was captured by Mikhail Solomon, whose filmography includes Always, Far and Away, Arachnophobia, and was nominated for two Academy Awards for The Abyss and Backdraft. It was co-edited by Daniel P. Hanley and Michael Hill, who have been nominated for four Oscars for A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, and Frost Nixon, winning one for Apollo 13. The score was composed by Hans Zimmer, who wrote the music for Rain Man, The Thin Red Line, Inception, Interstellar, and won two Academy Awards for Best Music, Original Score for The Lion King, and Dune Part 1. The soundtrack featured songs by Bruce Hornsby and The Range, Los Lobos, Cream, and The Smithereens. The runtime is 2 hours 17 minutes. 
It had a budget of $40 million and grossed $152 million at the box office. It was nominated for three Oscars at the 1992 Academy Awards, including Best Sound, Best Visual Effects, and Best Sound Effects Editing. I give it four out of five stars. Yeah, I like this thing. Add half a star if you're a firefighter and thank you for your service. If you've seen Backdraft and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. It's been a while since I've spoken about my adoration for drummers, so here we go. They are truly the heartbeat of a band. I can't express how much a good drummer can change the dynamics of a band. In the early 2000s, I was listening to this band, and their debut album was really strong from beginning to end. But they replaced the drummer on the second album, and the song sounded dead. There was no life on those drums. The fills were boring. It didn't help that the overall songwriting kind of sucked and the production was bland. Overall, it was not very good, and I'm probably giving the drummer a little too much credit as to how bad it was. But still, I didn't like it. To showcase what drummers can do, I've selected three videos for your enjoyment. The first video that I'm going to post, only about five people will find interesting. Everyone knows the song Africa by Toto, and this drummer imagined what would happen if other famous drummers played on the track, incorporating their styles of play. Now, I didn't know all of them, but the ones I did were spot on. The second video features Queen drummer Roger Taylor talking about how he produces his signature drum sound. The last includes one of my favorite drummers, Liberty DeVito, playing a lesser-known Billy Joel tune, I Don't Want to Be Alone Anymore, which shows how the drum part can really complement and enhance a song. They're all available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Count Me In. Yes, I'm still on that drummer kick. This is a documentary directed by Mark Lowe, which showcases the art of drumming and the impact they have in bands. It features interviews with Roger Taylor of Queen, Nick Mason of Pink Floyd, Stuart Copeland of The Police, the late Taylor Hawkins of The Foo Fighters, Chad Smith of The Red Hot Chili Peppers, as well as footage of some of the best to sit behind the drum kit. The Beatmasters talk about the musicians that inspired them to pick up the sticks and start bashing on your parents' pots and pans. The focus of the documentary is on rock music, but it does pay tribute to jazz, reggae, and punk, for example. Even if you're not a fan of drummers, I think you can appreciate the musicianship and the passion of these players. Count Me In can be found streaming on Netflix. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates. And come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness.
He informs Brian that he had a talk with Chief Fitzgerald and asked that he be transferred to the Cuffest... Cuffest Company. Brian watches in awe as his fire scales... <sighs> William Baldwin co-stars as probationary fire officer. Fire officer? I think I just made a new position. The Matt Watch That podcast is off next week, but if you need a fix, follow the Matt Forgot That podcast, which will be all new.